all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during this hour concerning any kind of issues that you might have that are related to the health care of yourself or someone who is near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning by calling one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call this morning or if something pops up later in the day or later in the week that you want to ask us a question about, you can always email us those questions. The email address is, e- is excuse me, remedy at mpbonline.org. And also, I'd like to remind everyone that we do have a podcast. If you'll search for mpbonline.org Southern Remedy, or if you'll go to our website, you can listen to our archive programs. We archive not just this Southern Remedy program, but others during the week. It takes about a, a day to get those up and running, but if you miss something that you were listening to, you can always uh, go to mpbonline.org and just search for Southern Remedy and listen to the entirety of the program. Beautiful fallish winter day, uh, day before Thanksgiving. Hope you're reflecting on what you are thankful for. Certainly lots of things to be thankful for. Uh, we need a lot more gratitude. Uh, there's certainly a lot of, of things that we could uh, focus on, but I think it's a good thing, and certainly from a medical standpoint, it's a great thing to be grateful for the things that you have, even if there are small things or if it's one or two things. And hope everybody is thinking about that and moving into tomorrow. Don't be swept up by all the other things that can uh, take that gratitude and thankfulness away. We know that that has positive effects on your your health across the board. So just a challenge to you. And uh, and I just wanted to say from my standpoint, I'm thankful uh, for all of you, for all of our listeners who make this program great. And uh, the calls that you uh, make or the emails that you make to this program is what really gives it its content. And that's one of the things that makes Southern Remedy special, particularly on Wednesdays, as we take those calls one by one. And uh, more than once, I've gotten a follow-up email about you know how much people have enjoyed hearing that from somebody else, and they, you may think that you're the only person who has that uh, that complaint or that question, but you're probably not. You're probably there's probably multiple people out there. So I am thankful for you. Also thankful thankful for all of our uh, everybody who makes this program uh, the great program that it is. Is particularly Kevin Farrell, who's our producer, and uh, Kevin. Uh, works tirelessly behind the scenes. You may hear him from time to time with a question uh, or follow-up or introduction, but uh, thanks to Kevin, and I hope all of you out there have great plans for Thanksgiving. 
So just, uh, you know, we do have some, there's sort of a calendar of medical uh, conditions that are mainly for just reminders about ways that we can get the word out about things. And this is a, a today is, uh, or actually this week, is gastroesophageal reflux disease reminder week. And uh, that are GERD, as some of you may know it. And uh, this is a very common thing. In fact, just about everybody has these symptoms from time to time. If you don't, you probably will tomorrow if you eat a lot of uh, traditional holiday food. So uh, what is GERD? What is gastroesophageal reflux? Well, uh, it, as you know, when you when you eat something and chew it up, then it has to go down through a tube that connects the the lower portion of the throat to the stomach, and that's the esophagus. Once it reaches the, reaches the stomach, there's gastric contents there that help break down those foods more than just the uh, the mechanical breakup of those foods. And to do that, you need acid. And acid in the stomach is a normal thing. Uh, if you don't have acid there, hydrochloric acid, uh, then you can run into some problems with malabsorption of various things. But uh, that's that's the normal thing is to have acid in your stomach. I know a lot of people are like, well, you don't want to eat anything acid. Well, when it gets to the stomach, it's going to have a pH of about 2 to 3, so that's a pretty acidic environment there. So once it gets there, it's broken down further, and then it should move through the stomach uh, out into the intestines, and there's other things that combine with the contents there to help break it down and to neutralize that acid after it's done its work. Now, in some cases, there are uh, certain uh, risk factors that can either increase the acidity in your stomach or if you have a little valve that's at the bottom of the esophagus, if that valve is not working properly, that those stomach contents with all that acid can go back up into the esophagus. And the esophagus just isn't designed to, to deal with that acid. And that's usually what uh, patients complain about with symptoms. So it's usually a burning in the chest. Uh, it can move up into your neck or throat. I know those are when I have reflux symptoms, it goes up into to my neck and sort of my right shoulder. Um, but it can be symptoms of nausea, chest pain, uh, painful swallowing when you actually swallow foods, or maybe some difficulty swallowing. Some people have a chronic cough with it too, particularly at night or when they lie down. Uh, if it occurs Often and repetitively, you can have a hoarse voice or uh, or even bad breath uh, frequently. So these are all common symptoms that can um, that can present uh, with gastroesophageal reflux disease in adults. Now babies have them too. Just about every baby spits up at least some, and that's just because not necessarily because there's a problem with acid in their stomach, um, but it is because of a laxity. Uh, a looseness of that muscle uh, in the lower part of the esophagus that helps to uh, sort of a valve that closes off so the stomach can do what it what it needs to do. If you play with the baby enough and uh, tickle them and uh, they, or they get hiccups right after they eat, they're going to spit up on you. They're going to have reflux. So some amount of reflux is normal. Usually with babies, we don't get too disturbed about it unless they, there's a problem with uh, not uh, gaining weight appropriately uh, is one of the major symptoms, but otherwise it's it's fairly easy to deal with when you're when you're small. But it can be a very big nuisance later on. 
This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question about anything. It doesn't have to be reflux. We're just talking about that since that's what's going on this week. But the number to call if you have a question today is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. So what happens if you do have gastroesophageal reflux? What can you do? Well, there's some things that you can do to help prevent it, or if you've already gotten it, um, there's some things over time for the long haul that you can work on. If you're overweight or obese, that can be a, a pretty pretty decent risk factor for gastroesophageal reflux. And basically what happens is as you gain more weight in your abdomen, it just sort of pushes those contents or at least increases the pressure inside your abdomen and it makes it easier for those things to go back up into your esophagus. So you end up having uh, that burning sensation from excess acid that's um, that's pushed up because of that increased pressure. So losing some weight will, uh, even if it's 5 or 10 pounds, can a lot of times in, uh, decrease those symptoms significantly. If you smoke, uh, smoking, particularly the nicotine in, in smoke, can be a a risk factor and can precipitate uh, those symptoms of gastroesophageal reflux. So if you, that's one more reason to uh, quit smoking. Certainly we've got lots of different reasons why you need to, to stop smoking or don't uh, start smoking. Um, big heavy meals, uh, particularly if they're in the evening, uh, just because the more food you put in your stomach, it's like a balloon. Same thing with kids uh, and babies. So if you inflate that balloon more and more with stomach contents, at some point it's got to go somewhere and it can only go back up. So uh, you just got to keep that in mind about that. That. And then another thing is waiting a few hours after eating uh, when you lie down. So if you're going to go to sleep, don't eat a whole lot of food before that. And elevating your head during sleep can sometimes make a big difference, even if it's just a few inches, and that's just letting gravity sort of help push those foods down so that they don't, um, they don't come back up. So all those things are some ways that you can prevent gastroesophageal reflux. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions that you might have about any kind of health care issue, whether it's a new symptom, a new medication, maybe it's a diagnosis that you didn't quite understand, maybe you just wanted a second opinion. We are happy to give that to you this morning. If we can't get it to you right now, we'll try to follow up with that or point you in the right direction. The number to call if you have any kind of health care-related question about yourself or somebody else is one. 877 MPB ring 
That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're talking a little bit about gastroesophageal reflux before the uh, first break and uh, some things that you can do to help prevent that. Now, if if those things, if you've already done all those things that we talked about and you're still having symptoms, there are some medications that are, um, that are over-the-counter that you can take. So uh, some of those are prescription, too, and acids are one. So these uh, typically, these help to reduce the amount of acid in the stomach so that even if you do have stomach contents that are regurgitated sort of back up into the esophagus, it won't cause those symptoms. Um, so you really don't need to be taking antacids every day. So things like Tom's, if you're having to take that every day uh, for your reflux, that's probably not a good idea. Now, there are some other ones that do reduce the amount of acid directly. They don't just buffer it out like uh, Tom's does. <clears throat> and these are H2 blockers. So these are things like renitidine. Uh, Zantac is one of the or uh, one of the brand name uh, names for renitidine. Um, is a common one. Pepsid is another one. So all of these are um, are, are useful. I know there have been some recalls. Um, on some of those medications, so you have to be a little bit careful of that. And then proton pump inhibitors. So these are things like Prilosec, Prevacid. Um, they're a little bit more effective than the H2 blockers, and uh, you can take those certainly if you have sort of a flare-up. It's not recommended unless you have been instructed by a physician to take those continuously. Uh, and even then, if you have severe problems, usually we'll say three to six uh three to six months of treatment at the most, and then to reassess whether or not you need it or not. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to our first caller of the hour. We're going to go to Lynn from Holly Springs. Good morning, Lynn. Uh, yes. Um, I had heard some bad things about proton pump inhibitors, not like killing your gut buddies. And... Uh, my sister-in-law said she had heard um, to take a tablespoon of mustard and, you know, you can take it with water if you need to. But I have found that very effective. And do you think it's because it's got turmeric in it or what? Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have actually heard that. And uh, you're, you're right about the proton pump inhibitors. They're very effective, and particularly if you have something like an ulcer, in the stomach, which is sort of a shallow, scooped-out portion of that protective lining that you have to help protect those cells against acid, it it's, can allow that to heal up. And then if you have an infection with something called Helicobacter pylori, which is a bacterium that likes to hang out in some people's stomachs and can cause all kinds of problems. So it is useful to take those, and certainly they're safe in small amounts. Now, if you take them for long periods of time, you're right. It does do a lot of different things. There are some things that you don't absorb as well, like uh, calcium in your diet, whether you're taking a supplement or whether it's in foods. There are some medications that aren't absorbed as well. Uh, there is some limited evidence that it might increase your risk for certain types of cancers just because of that acidity in your stomach is cutting down on that. And then you mentioned, you know, bacterial flora in the in the intestines downstream. Uh, that's that's another thing that you can do. Now, there there are a lot of over-the-counter things that people have tried for this. So you mentioned, uh, you know, mustard. 
Uh, I have heard that anecdotally. There's not any studies that I've seen that have particularly looked at that to see how effective it is. Uh, certainly, if, it's, if it seems to decrease your symptoms, uh, mustard, particularly watered down, you know, like, like our, our cut, um, uh, like you mentioned, that certainly would be something that probably is not going to harm you. Um, I would be a little bit careful with some over-the-counter Rivenies because they have other side effects. Uh, ginger's another one that a lot of people have used, not necessarily for the um, for the decrease in acid, uh, but uh, it does seem to uh, decrease nausea, although it hasn't been studied a lot with GERD. So you can try those kinds of things. If you're on a lot of medications, though, um, not ne- not necessarily from um, you know, for uh, gastroesophageal reflux, I would check with your physician before you did that. But if mustard's working for you, hey, stick with it. A lot of people, though, will know what their triggers are, and they're like, you know what, as soon as I tried that, it increased, so don't stick with anything that's going to cause more symptoms. But anything like that that's a plant-based, you know, diet, as long as you don't overdo it, I'd say go for it. Yeah, I've also heard if you... you, uh use those acid reducers, you're not getting as much protein either. Uh, I don't know about if it has anything to do with protein, but generally you don't need to be taking a lot of those. Huh. Uh, you know, a lot of people will use baking soda, but baking soda has a lot, and it does it does counteract acid, but it is if you get too much of it, it can cause a lot of problems because it's pretty alkali, and it also has a ton of sodium in it that's not good for yeah. you. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, really I would say mustard to work quickly, so I would really yeah, recommend I would, it. I would stick with mustard then. Okay. All okay. right. Thanks, Lynn. Let's go to Tom from Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for calling. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Dr. Stork. To you, uh, too. Thank you. Uh, I uh, walk every morning. I'm 76 years old, and I got relatively flat feet, and it's held up pretty good over the years, but... Here in the last month, I've had a, uh, a pain in the inner part of my uh, arch, I guess, between the heel and the uh, toes. And it's not uh, excruciating, but it is aggravating. Uh, and I wondered if, if it's my arch is giving out, or my arch in this case, giving out, or uh, plantar fasciitis, or what your opinion might be of what's causing this pain. Sure. Yeah, it could be either one of those. Now, plantar fasciitis, almost always, it's more, it's toward the back, towards your heel is where you have pain. Or people will say it feels like somebody's sticking a needle in the bottom of their heel. And generally, that's the that's worst symptoms right when you get up in the morning, right when your foot hits the floor. They say that's the worst time of day. That's one of the questions I ask. And it tends to get better throughout the day. So if it doesn't fit with that, you know, either in where it is or those type of symptoms, I, I would lean away from that. Um, flat feet, uh, that's, uh, uh, oh, what's the, oh, pes, pes planus is the name of that for, you know, we have to use big words in medicine. They make us do that when we when we uh, take the oath. Um, but basically, you know, your arch is there to help distribute the forces in your, in your foot equally, um, and it's a lot of force in walking and, uh, in, 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 uh, you know, the different things. Even if you're not jumping or, or running, it's a lot of force on, on the bottom of your feet. If you have flat feet, though, it sort of reduces the way that it naturally would do that. 
um, where you're where you're having those symptoms um, and the and the pain, it could be that that's related to your arch being a little bit low. Um, I think you're probably going to need a good foot doctor to take a look at it. A podiatrist may be able to give you some input about that, but if it's chronic in nature, there's not a whole lot of them, but there are some foot and ankle orthopedic surgeons that are really good at that, or sports medicine doctors that are out there that are are really good. but, you know, a, a general thing I usually say is if you're doing something very active, and kudos to you for keeping that up, even with uh, the flat feet, um, I would keep doing it as much as you can. But if you're hurting like that, you may want to cut back for at least two to three days, maybe a week. If you're still hurting at that point, I'd probably have it checked out. Now, you can have differences right up where the ball of your foot is. You can have a lot of problems right there. Uh, sometimes you can have tissue breakdown around there. Sometimes you can have abnormal growths that are around the nerves, like a Morton's neuroma. Um, so <clears throat> sometimes it's in that same vicinity, so you may need somebody to take a look at that. Uh, generally, x-rays don't tell you a whole lot unless you're suspecting a, a stress fracture or you've had an injury to it, so it's not going to pick up on those soft tissue problems. But the, I, I would give it a little bit of a rest for probably a week. If it's still hurting at that point, I'd go have somebody take a look at it. All right. Thank you. All right. Good luck to you. This is Southern Remedy, the number to call if you have a question about anything in particular. It doesn't have to be your feet or reflux or anything else. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Yeah, foot problems are, you know, as we get older, too, our feet change, and that you can lose, if you have flat feet when you're younger, you can expect to have, you know, some problems later on, uh, particularly with repetitive things that you do, or if you have an old injury, uh, even if it heals up just fine, you can have some arthritic changes or changes in the bones over time. Doesn't mean that everybody with flat feet is going to have problems. In fact, you know, I, I can remember my old track coach telling me, because uh, I over I, I have excessive pronation when I run uh, or walk, and, um, you know, that can be just a normal thing. Everybody's built a little bit differently. They've been Olympic athletes that did just fine with differences in their gait and differences in how they're put together. You just got to work with that. Another thing, if you do have abnormal um, feet, either high arches, low arches, or just chronic foot pain, it might be worthwhile, again, to see somebody in sports medicine. They may refer you or make a special orthotic or shoe insert or types of shoes that will best fit your foot function and size perfectly. You know, we tend to cram our feet into all kinds of situations uh, and shoes just because they look good or because somebody said, hey, go try these on, they're great. That may be the point, that may be just what you find is that those types of shoes are good, but it's not for everybody. Everybody's feet, again, are a little bit different. Um, and it may take a you just trying something on or having somebody measure your feet and fitting your feet appropriately for the shoes. Um, long time ago, you know, a good uh, a good uh, leather worker would make shoes for people and uh, it would sort of be custom fit. We didn't have to cram our feet into all these things that we have these days. Even the different sizes and widths now doesn't quite capture what you what every person needs. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question about anything is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
You know, we were talking about gastroesophageal reflux earlier and there's some medications that you can use. Um, we did bring up a couple of home remedies. Uh, I think we, Lynn mentioned turmeric is one of them. We talked about baking soda. Chewing gum, a lot of people will say that that decreases it, and the thought there is um, that you decrease acid production. Or, excuse me, you 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 decrease the acid in your stomach because there's a little bit of alkalinity um, that can counteract that in saliva. Not a whole lot of data to support that, but again, if that works for you, you might try doing that. We mentioned ginger. Another one that's very common is drinking milk. So milk is alkaline. Uh, and when we say alkaline, most a lot of people may not realize what that means. If you go way back to what you learned in school, there's a pH that measures the acidity or alkaline uh, alkaline state of everything. So you can test soil for that. You can test different liquids. And our bodies are really good, particularly in our bloodstream and in our cells, of keeping things at the proper uh, pH. Uh, 7.4 is what it tries to keep. Uh, and your kidneys do that uh, predominantly, but you also can do that a little bit with your respiratory system, with your lungs. So between those two mechanisms, it keeps it very tight, no matter what you intake, really. So you can drink all kinds of things. I know a lot of people are like, you know, pH balanced and all that. Well, your body's going to regulate that pretty well if all those organs are working. So uh, milk, though, is pretty alkaline, so it's the opposite of uh, acidic. Um, some people, though, although initially it has that sort of coating effect in the stomach, you can have an increase in symptoms after you drink a lot of it because it has a lot of protein and fat, and protein and fat increases the amount of uh, acidity in your stomach. So after that milk sort of goes away, you've just sort of said, hey, I just took in more protein and fat. You need to increase the amount of acid in the stomach. So you have to be careful with that. And again, almost everybody knows what sort of triggers them. So how do we diagnose this? When do you sort of go from, well, this is just a nuisance because I had too much of this spicy food or chocolate or caffeine and I know that that was going to set me off? Um, where does it go from that to something that should be looked at? So basically, if it's persistent, if it's something that you're having every day, uh, if you have some of those long-term symptoms we mentioned earlier, that's the point where you should um, where you should go and get that checked out by your physician. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things listen to Fix It 101 podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Wizzy this morning answering your calls and questions about all kinds of different health care issues. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Connie, who's on the road first. Uh, thank you for calling, Connie. 
Thank you. Um, should I ask that question right now? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, one second. Uh, thank you. And, uh, yes, I'm calling you from New Orleans, and I just want to say thank you so much for this extremely important, beneficial information that you are sharing today. Thank you. Um, my question is, I'm on the road uh, for the holidays, and I would like your opinion on how to possibly care for what I think is um, a broken toe. Uh, maybe I fractured it. I'm pretty sure it's broken because um, when I hit it, I think I heard a little crack. Mm -hmm. So I um, want to know what your opinion is on how to care for it while I'm on the road. Sure. Until I can uh, see a physician. Yeah. So so I, what I would do, you know, toes, they're extremely important. And you know they're important when you um, – hey, Connie, I think we're getting a little bit of background. If you could turn the radio down while we're talking – um, we're getting a little bit of feedback, I think, with the delay that's in there. So while we're talking, if you could just cut that down. So, yeah, toes, we, you know, you can, when you break a toe or even if you sprain a toe or even hit it, it is one of the most painful things, particularly if it's that little toe. You don't think about it until you actually do that. And then just the way that you're walking becomes affected. If you are where you can't get that seen, uh, most of the time that's okay and there's not much to do. Unless it's really bad looking, like if it's angulated, which means it's really bent uh, a long way. Certainly, if you uh, doesn't, I don't think this is going on. But if you you had a piece of something projecting from the skin uh, or an open wound, that may be an a an issue that you need to get checked out sooner. But if the skin's intact and you just uh, when you hit it, it, you heard that little crunch or crack, and it's giving you some pain. Uh, you can do splinting with toes by buddy taping them, and basically you take a little bit of uh, of, of tape, and uh, I'd probably stop at a pharmacy to get sort of some medical tape, not like the scotch tape or, or masking tape, but you, you can uh, gently tape it to the next toe or even a uh, toe on each side. Now, you don't want to tape it tightly, but you want to tape it so that it's not going to move around a whole lot. And that other toe is going to provide some support for it. Uh, the one that doesn't work as well is the big toe. So if it is your big toe, it may be a little bit different. But basically, um, don't constrict that. So don't try to force your foot in any kind of shoe. Uh, or if you have it in a shoe, you know, make sure it's one that's comfortable. And hopefully you got that while you're traveling. But the the buddy tape method works pretty well, and it's usually not going to cause any problems until you can get to see somebody. And uh, they'll probably x-ray that or, or look at it and decide if they need an x-ray. If it is uh, a non-angulated or, or a closed fracture, a lot of times they'll just uh, stabilize that. You know, sometimes they'll have to put you in a boot, but usually they can just tape it up, and those heal pretty good. But um, but that may get you to the next point where you know through the holidays, uh, hopefully you won't have anybody little little uh, running all over your feet or anything like that running around uh, tomorrow. But just uh, but if you tape it up, that may be the best thing. Great, thank you so much. Just one quick question associated with my my first question as far as uh, the, the toe. What do you recommend I take? Should I take? pain, uh, acetaminophen or naproxen or ibuprofen, what would be best uh, to sure. address this? 
Yeah, you can take either one of those. Now, if you you know if you have any kind of other medical problems like high blood pressure, you know, or kidney problems, I would stay away from the ibuprofen or Advil. Uh, or Aleve products and go more for the acetaminophen or Tylenol. Uh, but, yeah, either one of those would be fine, I think, to to take as long as you don't have any kind of other medical problems. Gotcha. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good Thanksgiving. Let's go to Chris from Vicksburg next. Hello, Chris. What's your question? Sorry, Dr. Jimmy. I think Chris dropped off, so instead let's go to Richard in Past Christian. All right. Good morning, Richard. Hi there. Uh, I'm Richard. I um, am a Vietnam vet, and I've been having uh, jaw problems, but I also have uh, psoriatic disease of uh, psoriasis and arthritis. And over the past year, I've had some falls uh, because I kind of get my lose my balance, or I'm kind of dizzy. 76 years old, or 75, excuse me, I'm older than I was. <laughs> but in any case, I I, I want to know if maybe the psoriatic arthritis is in uh, uh, affecting that to something in my ear. I have severe t- uh, ten- tinnitus, or what do you say that, tinnitus. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know uh, what I may... Uh, do for that or what doctor I need to see. Yeah, when you, um, now you can have, there are some instances where you can have pain in your jaw, and I'm assuming this is up close to your ear, right? Where you're having pain? Yeah, and it feels like it's my, it's just on the right side, and it feels like my uh, U-station is blocked. But I do do exercises for that to drain that, and 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 uh, I don't know if it's from uh, grinding teeth or or I have that something wrong with my ear or my jaw joint. Yeah, and and they, it can be tricky when you have pain in that area. It's sort of differentiating between the two. The, the short answer is yes. It might be um, it might be related to your psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis for everybody else out there is an autoimmune type of arthritis. It's not like the wear and tear. Um, so um, it's it's something that you can you know you can certainly treat. A lot of people, though, with psoriatic arthritis will have jaw pain in that area with their TMJ, their temporomandibular joint. Right. And right. Um, usually they'll they'll have like a popping or they'll say, I can't open my mouth very wide or I have that pain. Um, an ear, yeah, nose, and throat specialist. Symptom. Oh, so that's it. Yeah. An ear, nose, and yeah, throat specialist. My- or, or a a dentist that's that's familiar with that may be the person to see, and if you're having a flare right. of psoriatic psoriatic arthritis, you treating that sometimes can make it a little bit better, but um, okay. but but yeah, it's it is associated with that. It's not something that people think about when they think of psoriatic arthritis, but you, it can be uh, it can be sort of related. Yeah. Well, I just uh, yeah, I I've been researching it myself, and I and I just want to get to the right doctor uh, yep. Yep. to address it because I've 
went to I went to a rheumatologist and uh, and uh, I do take meds for my psoriatic arthritis. I I'd go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor that that may be familiar with that. I'd call them first and say, can you do you are y'all familiar with pain that's in that area and see if they can see you. Yeah, but it uh, yeah it kind of increases with uh, my anxiety. I also have PTSD and and that my anxiety is high sometimes, and it it seems that's flare my flares are associated with that too. So yeah, yeah, keep calm. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I, that's I'll just I think I'm going to try an ENT. And, and see what he says. And, and uh, dent, my wife works in the dental field, and she said, well, there could be something wrong with your joint. Yep, I think uh, she may be on to it. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much. All right, thank you for calling. We're going to, I think we've got Chris back from Vicksburg. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Well, uh, Dr. Jimmy, I was wondering, have you ever heard of a drop foot? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and that, it, do you have like a neuro, neurologic uh, injury? Well, I was, uh, I took my daughter, she was uh, like 16 at the time, uh, last year, 17 at the time. And I took her on a nature walk, and we walked across a wooden bridge, and I fell through the wooden bridge on my left leg. Ugh developed a, a drop foot and when I pulled it back out I didn't know but I knew, I realized I was limping and then I realized I couldn't lift my foot and I couldn't spread my toes and then I went to walk into a store and I had to step over a, a what do you call it a sidewalk the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about and I tripped and fell on my face and it took me about eight months and self-therapy to try and get that thing back. And then I had COVID back in uh, May. I had kidney failure due to renal failure, respiratory failure, retinal failure, a heart attack, collapsed lower left lung. I had a lot of issues. Mm. I was in a coma for 10 days. And then I've still got, I've got most of my left leg back as far as the drop foot goes, but I still have, um, uh, paralysis on the uh, outside of my leg. I don't know if that's sciatic nerve, and then because of COVID, I have it on my right side now too. Yeah, it's it could be a number of things. Now, the first injury, um, the first injury that you mentioned is it would be a common one to damage the nerve that that controls lifting your foot up. And um, if you're that far removed from it, you can regain function over time. And certainly physical therapy and nerve stimulation, sometimes those things can help. But uh, usually if you're almost a, you know, a year out or so, that, that can be a problem. And then you've had, a, I'm sorry to hear you've had all those complications from COVID, but nerve-type uh, nerve injury can be something that a lot of patients will have after developing COVID, so it may be related there. And it's not uncommon if you've had previous nerve injuries. If you have that from COVID, then it can make those a little bit worse. I just wish I, people would take this COVID thing a little bit more serious. I mean, I, I know everybody thinks it's a, a flu, but I swear 
$319,000 bill, that's no joke, you know. <laughs> no, it's not. And and all the all the complications that you had either. Um and that's something that potentially we can we can prevent. So yeah, I I would say keep at it. Um if you're not seeing a neurologist, that may be a person that you may want to look into to to uh see if they've got some things that they could do to help um to help promote nerve regeneration. Um because it can happen even if you're older, it can it can uh, over time you can regain a lot of that function. Well, I'm 47. Is nerve regeneration that's an that's an option? I didn't know that. Well, not necessarily regrowing nerves, but it's it's doing everything to keep everything optimal so that those nerves can heal themselves. So it's not like you see in science fiction where you can grow new things and that that kind of thing. But you know, used to we used to think once you got damaged to nerves, they really didn't didn't regrow or they didn't regenerate. That's not exactly true. You can you can regain function over time, and sometimes it's in sort of doing some things to help your brain regain that control over those peripheral nerves. So uh, check into that. I mean, that's uh, I wouldn't just write all that off. Uh, a neurologist can sort of help you down that pathway. I will definitely talk with my doctor about that. Thank you. I didn't even think about that. I've been working on it for well over a year, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. Thank you for calling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and calls. Great content this morning, as always. Always thankful for that. We're going to go to Dion, who has been patiently holding on the line. Good morning, Dion. Yes. Uh, I, uh, you're familiar with uh, gastro bypass uh, weight loss surgery? Yeah. Are you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm fixing to be 70 in January, and I had this back in uh uh, 1996 or, or, or 98, I can't remember today. But anyway, I've had a whole lot of uh, uh, sickness from it, and, and my uh, uh, and I've got a, a a lot more health problems since then. And I've been having to go through the years and have the the bottom of my stomach, you know, emptied out because uh, I. I uh, I throw up so much, and uh, I've had a lot of problems. But anyway, I've got to the point, uh, you know, uh, for the uh, while I've only just about uh, being able to have uh, liquids and very, very soft foods because of 
uh, condition of my stomach and everything. But what I, I want to get down to is uh, 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 I finally got a very, very good doctor there at the university that uh, a couple of days ago he did the uh, the scope and uh, I was determined, and I told him, so he was determined, too, to get down to the problem, you know, what can we do about this? How, how can we get it started? Anyway, he uh, we found he found that uh, I do have a uh, piece of that uh, band. He called it a lap band. I call it a little plastic round thing. But it is inside, uh, and the, uh, the, the bottom of my stomach is, uh, he couldn't even uh, get through it because it's so narrow. So now it's set up for um, fixing to do a CT in a couple of days to uh, find out uh, uh, where we can go from there uh, uh, on doing the surgery or however we're going to go about working on getting this thing out and trying to get my uh, stomach so I can just uh, be a little bit normal again. Do you have any idea of... of, of, uh, because I, they really, he, he doesn't really know what to do yet, you know, because uh, my health isn't in the greatest. And uh, so uh, I'm just wondering, uh, that has to come. And I do have the H. Valori down there, which uh, I was figuring that because I stay in so much, so much pain. I have all the chest pain. And my heart doctor, he said it wasn't my heart, so we went to a, you know, uh, so it is from that uh uh, all of that, those acids and everything, uh, all through the years, and because uh, my voice is, uh, I have, you know, especially in the morning, I have trouble. Uh, uh, my voice is so hoarse all the time and everything. So it's done a lot of damage, but everything, so it's got to come out. And I'm at the point right now where, you know, everything is coming back up. So what would you suggest? Uh, I mean, what do you think about something like this? Yeah, Dion, that's a lot of lot of different complications you got going on there. Uh, thankfully, I think you're in good hands. So, a gastroenterologist or GI doctor that you're seeing is one would would have been my suggestion. And then if they're you know depending on what they saw, certainly if there's a, a retained uh, foreign body there with the band um, that's not in a, in a place where it shouldn't be, I think that you know that surgery is something that they could they could consider. Uh, you know, anytime you have other medical problems that are going on and with age, you know, 70s, in, in your 70s or even 80s, it's not all that old anymore. Um, and we have a lot safer ways to uh, to do surgeries uh, and anesthesia. So uh, depending on other things that are going on, they may work with an internal medicine doctor or a primary care doctor to get you tuned up to the point where if they do need to do surgery, they could do that. Now that's, it is way beyond my expertise. It sounds like you're in the right hands of the people who need to decide this. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a long time ago to have that, that surgery. We didn't have a whole lot of options. There are other options now with weight loss surgeries, uh, that are, you know, that are less invasive and have less complications. But I think you bring up a good point. They're not all benign things. It's not like you can go and do it and everything's going to be great. You're going to lose weight. There's a lot of things that can change. There are some risks to that. That's why most reputable surgeons who do weight loss surgery 
they don't just rush into it. They really talk about the complications and try to weigh those. Um, but yeah, Deanna, I don't know that I could offer anything else besides what you are, um, you know, what you already uh, have going on. But I'm glad you got to the people that you did. It sounds like they're on the right track and they can at least give you some options about some things that they could do or perhaps, you know, surgery if they feel like that that's warranted to try to uh, relieve some of your symptoms. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.